Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name is Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello, everyone. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, property strategies, aren't we, Richie? We certainly are, yeah. We're going to have a good old chat through various property strategies that exist out there and what that really means to people. Fantastic. But before we get into that, um, had a good week? Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it's a good week. Always busy. Every week is busy in my world uh, with lots going on. Uh, good good, uh, good week this week as well. Uh, run a new webinar software, didn't we? We had a, quite a successful webinar, which went quite well. So that was quite good fun. Um, yeah. You look like you're going to say something now. I know what you're going to say. Go on. Well, it was. Uh, it, it went well. In, it went well in the end, but it did. Let's just say I had a few moments. I think is probably fair to say. Um, yeah. Shall it, I it, just explain? Well, yeah. I mean, well, you started, so you're going to have to carry on now, aren't you? Yes. There was there. I think it's fair to say we had a few issues, and uh, before Ian does explain, none of it was my fault. Um, well, I mean, I think that's for the audience to kind of work out. If I just explain, so what we did. Um, is we got some some new software for doing our webinar because I think it was a kind of a bit of an upgrade, which is great. Uh, and there's kind of a really good bit of advice that I would give people is if you're going to get some new webinar software, um, actually try it before you use it live. I think that would be a, that would be a good idea. And um, and actually, a second good bit of advice is if you're co-presenting with somebody, uh, try and find a co-presenting partner who can perform simple instructions reliably. Um, because what what happened, uh, I, I hadn't done either of those two things. I let him carry on for a minute. And uh, we got to quite a critical part of the, uh, of the webinar where I was uh, telling the audience, I thought, some pretty important stuff. And, and basically, my, my co-presenter had one, um, one job, which was uh, there was a laptop um, and there was one button and one finger involved. And then a finger at the when I, I finished. Had to think about it. When I, I finished my, you know, exhausting the uh, the, the the page, um, my co-presenter had to then put his finger on the button to advance the slide. So I finished giving this. Uh, so I've got to, yeah, as I said, critical point. And then I looked at my uh, my co-presenting partner. Uh, <laughs> he seemed to be in a completely <laughs> different world, weren't you? Well, I was. But to be fair, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to you speak for for more than two or three minutes. But I got bored. So you, you know, glazed over. I glazed over. And I then, couldn't help it. I tried to stay awake, but I, I, I couldn't. And then um, you'd have thought that what happens next was pretty obvious. I kind of waved my hand in front of your face to get you out of the, this kind of reverie that you'd slipped into. And I thought that what you were going to do is then <laughs> just press the button again to advance the slide forward. I did. I, t- I attempted well, well, to press the button. You, you, you didn't. What you did is you panicked and and pressed just about every button on the keyboard. Well, I knew I was going to hit the right one eventually. And so the screen went blank. And um, I had nothing to say. We've got people listening. Uh, I've given up their precious time to listen to our webinar. And then I, there's just not a thing to say. Not a thing to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what did you then do? So the screen went blank. So, you know, in my world, uh, you know, the show must go on. So if I'm on stage and the screen goes blank, I can't just stop. I have to carry on. What did you do, Ian? I, I got a bit emotional. <laughs> emotional? Yeah, I was it, overcome. I think actually it was a bit of a, I think it might be a, a, a kind of clinical thing. You went I've hysterical. 
You couldn't speak. So basically, for those that are listening to this, Ian actually just just basically died in a complete fit of laughter. And and he couldn't do anything. So he just, he's, That's like not he's, the funny bit, though. The funny bit is that I, could, yeah, I literally couldn't speak. I'm doubling up. And I'm trying to be really quiet. And I'm bent over the, the, the kind of the, 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 uh, the, the desk thing. And... Um, and of course, completely forgetting that we've got the webinar camera on. So the camera's so, on, yeah. So everybody can see. <laughs> but bless you, you did come to the rescue. You did Ever the professional. Out, well, I did. Yeah. I had to pick it up because, because I've got my business partner there. And, uh, you know, so I'm in business with him. I can't suddenly break up this business and extract myself. It's going to be too financially complicated. The show must go on. So we were there. So I had to pick up his bit. So I had to pick up his bit of the webinar while he got himself together. And I, I was doing that whilst actually pressing the right button and getting the technical side back on track. So if you recall, at the end of that, I actually became the IT director of the company for a short period of time. You did become the IT director. And I was quite impressed by your uh, your recovery. And I did manage to put it back in the end and we closed out the webinar. So uh, it's quite unlikely, I suspect, that anybody uh, that uh, is, was on that webinar is actually listening to to this because, of course, you, <laughs> you probably think, I'm never going to bother listening to those two amateurs again. But uh, if you They'd were on the it. webinar, uh, we do apologise. You'll be pleased to know that uh, that we've now got the hang of the uh, we've tested the webinar software, and um, and my co-presenter has mastered the art of using one finger. I don't think we should apologise. I think it was pure entertainment. Was anyway, let's uh, let's have a chat about. Property I think we should talk about property strategies. Um, perhaps you can give us an overview of the basic property strategies that there are out there at the moment. Okay, well, let's just uh, look at it as a sort of a basic list at the moment. You can uh, you can look at sourcing. So starting with sourcing, and sourcing is where you get someone who who looks for an opportunity. They find that opportunity, whether it be a, a you know a, a house that you can turn into something else, or it's a bit of land or something, and then they pass that on to someone else. So they actually secure the opportunity for someone else, and they often get paid from both people, from the seller and from the purchaser, on that sourcing opportunity. Um, so uh, sourcing is out there. And you can fairly easily get into sourcing. Moving up from that, buy-to-let. Buy-to-lets is uh, the traditional buy-to-let. We all probably know about that, where if someone goes and buys a house and they put a tenant in it, they might do it up, they might do a bit of work on it, put a tenant in it, and they let it out to a family. And uh, over many, many years, you know, you sort of you build up the capital growth on something like that on a buy-to-let. I guess that's where maybe perhaps most people's view of what going into property is is like That's it the... is because buy to let i mean buy to let is a very common strategy and it's uh, it, it, relatively it's easily understood in terms of accessing it yeah uh, none of the other strategies are that much, you know more difficult once you've got a bit of education but a lot of people just go into buy to let because they go well that's that's easy i understand it uh, moving up from there, and no, no particular order such, but you've got HMOs. HMO stands for House of Multiple Occupation. So this is a house which you often carve up and you split into more rooms than what would ordinarily be there. So if you had, a, say, a four-bedroom house and it had two or three reception rooms, you'd get rid of one of those reception rooms, make that into another bedroom, um, and, and you maximise your rooms that you can rent out. And rather than let the whole house to one family you let it out on a room-by-room room basis. So it could be students, it could be professionals uh, who, who rent an individual room. So often the people in there, uh, well, part of, the, part of the requirement is they're not related, they're not family. Right. So it's a bit like if you, know, if you went to university, you, you're, you're in a student let and you all sort of got to know each other and probably partied more than what you should have done. HMOs are a bit like that, but not necessarily students. So they could be professionals, they could be nurses, they could be anyone who wants to work in a certain area. There could be often young couples go into it. Um, but HMO is is a number of people in one property together. 
And I guess in that situation, the difference between that and buy-to-lets, a big obvious difference is that if you've got, for example, six or seven rooms in an HMO, you've got six or seven units that you're trying to let um, and six and seven uh, opportunities for voids and so on. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you've got, you're, on a positive, you've got six or seven opportunities to earn a good income. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If, if those rooms go down, you've got some voidage. But of course, on a, on a plus side there, you don't have on a buy to let. If there's no tenant, there's no tenant yeah. on an HMO. You know, you can drop one and you've still got some income. So HMOs are, are, are houses of multiple occupation. It's easy for me to say, isn't it? Houses of multiple occupation. Got it right that time. Uh, where you rent out all the individual rooms. Then uh, a sort of bit of a take on that is rent to rent. So rent to rent is not dissimilar, but you don't actually own the property. So it's clues in the in the title there. You rent it off of a landlord and you rent it out. So the deal here is you get an agreement. So if you've got a landlord who maybe has got a sort of three or four bedroom home, uh, who really wants to rent it just to one family, but maybe he's a bit tired, he doesn't want all the hassle. If you go along to him or her and say, well, I'll tell you what, ordinarily you're going to rent this out for £900 a month. I'll give you £800 a month. And I'll guarantee to rent it for two years or three years. So you get a reduction in the rent to whatever degree. And then your agreement is that you're going to uh, let, let it out room by room. You might do a little bit of updating. You, you, you're probably not going to do any major structural alterations and you certainly don't own it. And then you rent out the individual rooms. And of course, where you make your money there is actually by, uh, you know, getting that additional premium coming in for renting out room by room. Um, and then the difference of what you've only got to pay the landlord, which is a fixed price based on probably just a family owning it. So rent to rent don't really need any money to get into rent you can get straight into it um, and uh, you know get going quite quickly service departments uh, is is another step up i mean this is a proper business this is like almost in my view this is like a hotel like a one-star hotel without all the frills so you don't necessarily have uh, all the facilities you'd have in a hotel you certainly don't have check-in and all that sort of stuff but it's much the same and this is often gets advertised over things like airbnb people obviously then come along and rent a room and the difference here is they're renting a room could be on a night by night basis so you could have someone just stops for one night and they're gone it could be contractors who come in and take a week at a time or two two or three months at a time but you are going to have services that you have to provide hence it's a service department so you're going to be doing linen changes, cleaning, that sort of thing. And of course, you've got to sort out key holders or key boxes, or you've got to have someone housekeeping to let people in. So oh, it's a very different kind of model then. Yeah, it's a very different model. It's a real proper business. I mean, there are some great returns because if you can imagine, you know, the, the step up from a buy to let to a rent to rent stroke HMO is quite significant, the additional money you can make. When you go up from a rent to rent or an HMO to a service department, you're renting a room out per night. You pay a premium for that, yeah. as you would with any hotel. So that's, uh, you know, there's a, a big financial difference in service departments. But of course, there's a big input that you need into service departments. And moving up from there, then, is development. And development can come in all sorts of categories. So commercial conversions, as heard, you know, these days is quite popular. Industrial conversions, less popular or less well-known, perhaps, I should say, and new build. And this is really, in terms of the interpretation here, this is, uh, for the you know, purposes of this podcast, it's development is something you're going to flip on. You're going to sell it. You could hold it. Okay. And you could develop something and hold it into a service department or into a HMO. I think one of the things that occurs to me is that with the word development um, pretty means different things to, to different people. So for some people, property development might sound like you're building a housing estate or you're building a load of supermarkets. Or, sure, sure. Um, so what sort of scale is potentially, what's the breadth of scale within the word development? Well, yeah, I, the, the breadth of scale is, is wide ranging. So you could go and buy yourself uh, the same 
it's the same value. So let's say you went and bought yourself in some areas of the country uh, a two or three bed house for maybe two hundred thousand pounds. Okay, uh, and you turn that into an HMO. No problem. Most people can get their head around that. Okay, two hundred thousand pounds. I buy myself a three bed, three bed Victorian terrace property, a mm-hmm. couple of reception rooms. I convert it into an HMO. Okay, yeah, understand that. Two hundred thousand pounds. I could buy myself a buy to let. Understand that. Well, for two hundred thousand pounds, you could actually go and buy uh, maybe an old office or a little old industrial shed or a plot of land that then you can build on or convert, depending on which one you're doing, into, could be residential, primarily residential because it's much easier to sell on, particularly if you're new. But you could convert it into anything. You could convert it into a gym, into a retail space. Um, But let's assume we're going to convert it into residential and you sell them and you sell them on. So £200,000 can easily get you into the development market. So the market starts exactly the same place as it would for buy-to-lets and HMOs and definitely service departments. Perfect. But you're right, it goes right the way up. So, you know, the Olympic Stadiums in in, in 2012, which, you know, my old engineering company were peer-reviewing on for the government, that's a development. Yeah. It was a development for the government. So you go right up to that scale. And that's the trouble. The word does, you know, most people picture it and they think, oh, wow, you know, cranes and skyscrapers and big industrial, you know, big housing estates. No, development can be whatever you want it to be. So there's quite a range. So in terms of strategies, you know, the, the sourcing, buy-to-let, HMOs, rent-to-rent, service departments, and then development, that gives you a pretty good overview. That's the sort of list of strategies that are out there. Fantastic. So thinking about those then in turn, like kind of pros and cons because they, they've all got you know their good points and their bad points haven't they how would you how would you kind of compare them in terms of the uh, the advantages and disadvantages okay so to 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 go through those um uh, one by one sourcing pros pros are sourcing uh you can you can get into it quite quickly you don't need lots of investment uh you know you you, you really need good connections so what you need in sourcing is you need to know a lot of people that can bring you deals and you need to know a lot of people that you can potentially sell deals to. But the big positive here is you don't need lots of money to get into it. You don't need an office. You don't need to raise capital. You just need to put a deal together. You need to package a deal. So you need to know how to do that. You need to know how to package a deal to pass it on. And of course, you need to know how to find it. So you need to be really good with people. The downside of sourcing is you need quite a lot of deals to come through because you're only making, you know, per deal. Yes, you're going to actually make money out of the person selling the deal and the person purchasing the deal, but you've got to get quite a through, throughput of deals to actually make a reasonable bit of money out of it. It's, it's quite a good strategy for people to do part-time, uh, particularly they've got a lot of connections, they can find these things, but you do need quite a few to go through. And you're, you're often making, unless you're talking about big deals, but let's assume we're talking about sort of smallish deals that first-time developers or people into property can get into. So whether that's an HMO buy to let, you know, you might be making five or six or seven or eight or 10,000 a deal, um, which, which okay, sounds for a lot of people that's quite good money, and for a lot of people that's just absolutely fine. But that that's never going to make you wealthy. It's it's never going to maybe you know meet all those dreams and aspirations you've got. It's never going to fill your pension pot up, but it's a good little income. So yes, very quick you can get into it. Um, you know you don't need lots of input, but you need to know lots of people, and uh, you know it's never going to make you super wealthy. Okay, uh, if you talk about buy to let, well. The, the real pro, everyone understands buy-to-let. Yep. Very easy to do. I don't think there's probably a week goes by there's probably not a program on the telly that someone's talking about buy-to-lets, you know, homes under the hammer and all these things. It's, it's so much of it around out there. So it's very easily understood, very difficult to make a mistake in a buy-to-let. You're just taking a, a traditional property, a house or a flat, and you're putting a, you're putting a tenant in it, a family in it, and they're going to pay you some rent. 
Now, providing you do your basic numbers okay, providing the rent covers at least the mortgage, most people in, in buy-to-let look for long-term capital growth. So most people are investing in that for their pension, for their future. So there's a lot of people that's got buy-to-let portfolios, you know, with 10, 20, 30 properties that they've built up, and it's for a pension time later on. You can make money out of buy-to-let. You know, you can make four or 500 pounds a month out of a buy-to-let, but you really don't want to have too many voids and you don't want to have too many problems with boilers and all those things going wrong. So it's a, it's a good strategy that's simple and easy to get into, but it's a much, in my opinion, it's a much longer-term strategy going forward. Okay, uh, so HMOs were next. HMOs, yeah, HMOs. Okay, well, let's, let's start with the negatives on HMOs. Uh, tenants, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or tenants and, and tenants. <laughs> I, I'm not a particular big fan of tenants, and I know you can outsource it and you can put it to management, but, you know, I've, I've run um, you know, a lot of businesses over the years with lots of teams and lots of staff, and that's great, but you end up being a social worker to all these people. To some extent with tenants, you do much the same. So, you know, unless you really want to be looking after people, um, I don't think it's a great strategy because, you know, you've got to be a bit of a people person. You can outsource it, you can get a management company to do it, but inevitably I think you're always involved to some extent and you've got to get the strategy right to attract people in. So HMOs involve, you know, a number of tenants. So, of course, the more tenants you get, the more problems in, in, in instances and stuff you're going to have to sort out. Um, you can have problems in HMOs where people trash them, particularly if you're looking at a student market. You know, they often get trashed. I know you might have a deposit, you can get your money back but it's a lot of hassle to do that uh, a lot of hmos are you know professional workers so, so that's fine uh, but there are there are issues around those but on a positive side on a really positive side there's good money in hmos because we're talking about renting it room by room so your risk is a bit diversified as we said earlier on the buy to let if your tenant's gone you've got no income if you drop one room you're probably okay on an hmo if you drop two you're still okay, you've still got some income. Okay, you start dropping through, you make, you're losing money. But it's unlikely if you've got your product right that you've got the whole, you know, you, you, you can have the whole thing empty. So on a positive side, it, it is a little bit of a diversification of risk. Um, it, you do have the capital growth going forward because you own the property. You've got to invest a bit of money, so a little bit of negative here. You've got to find some money. You might have to spend fifteen, twenty thousand pounds doing up an HMO. And this is basically to get it from being a family home to something that can support people living kind of room by room. Yeah, yeah, because you're going to be you're going to be putting in probably ensuite shower rooms. There's a lot of competition out there for HMOs at the moment, and so you've got to be better than the, the next one down the road. And that means you probably got to have a better bathroom ratio. So that means putting in ensuites. So that means altering the building, changing the structure around. Nothing you know massive, but it requires money. And and a downside on that is that money is often small amounts, fifteen twenty thousand. You can't go and borrow that that easily. A lot of people stick it on their credit card, and uh, I wouldn't suggest yeah. you go and do that. Or they use the a bit of savings they got to get into it. So, you know, yes, it can earn you some great money, um, but uh, just just be wary that you are now getting into a business with a number of tenants. Rent to rent, if, if I can pick up that one, it's, it's pretty much the same uh, in terms of you have tenants, you have those issues. The, the real plus side is you can get into it with, without much money because you don't do such a, such a big conversion. So because you're taking on someone else's property and you've only got it for a short period, you're unlikely to go in there and start putting it on suites and that sort of thing. You might take the lounge and, and maybe put you know, door lock and key locks on all, mm-hmm. the, on all the rooms just so you can use the lounge or the second reception room as a bedroom, but not major, major work. So you don't need so much money to get into rent to rent. You might need three or 4000 to do up a building and just get it ready. Now, the downside on there, maybe compared to HMOs, you don't have that capital growth. 
you could put great effort in you know you get your 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 rent to rent building up and running you get it all fully occupied and it's really going well and then in three years the landlord says no no i'm sorry i'm not going to renew and and you've got no choice it goes back you've got no choice and all of the money that you've sunk in to to get it from being what it was to being uh effectively an hmo is then you know that's yeah although that's to be cost. fair you 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 don't you're only putting in two or three thousand pounds and you've probably got that back by the uplift that you've got in right. renting this out room by room it probably if you get it right and a lot of the training out there talks about getting this back in the first sort of three to six months and for thereafter it's profit so that's not so much of a problem uh, the, the thing that would frustrate me is i've just built up a good business model i've got, built some great relationships with tenants and the landlord doesn't renew yeah. I've got to start again. So that's part of the risk of that strategy. It is, it is. So that that's, okay. there's, there's definitely a downside there. And then we're on to uh, service accommodation, service yeah, departments. service departments. Well, uh, you know, on an upside, um, it's it's lucrative. You know, financially, it's very lucrative. You can do very well out of it because, as, as we said, you're charging room by room per night. That's great. Uh, you know, you you you're in terms of risk factor. You know, you're spreading your risk massively. So, uh, you know, you, you're often getting tenants every night. You, you know, you're getting long term builders and so on. The downside and the big downside for me is you're running a business. Now, for for some people, that's absolutely fine. If you want to get into that, you can run a business. Service departments is very difficult to do unless you completely outsource it. And you're going to outsource a lot of stuff. I mean, I do know some people run their own service departments who are actually doing the linen changing and sheet changing themselves. Right. Which is crazy. But that's what they want to do. That's fine. But to leverage a service department block takes some doing because it's a complete business. It's pretty much a 24-7 operation. Yeah. And so you have to be on call. Very difficult to do whilst running a, a, a job, even if you're trying to, you know, your current job part-time. So it's like you were saying earlier about, you, you mentioned kind of running a hotel, which I, can, I can't think of anything worse, but that, it's effectively that, is it? Because you've got potentially, you might have some people staying for, for weeks or months, but on the other hand, you might actually have a different person in every night who just yeah. wants a, a one-night stay on business or, or a, whatever, a short break. And then you're changing the sheets, and then they're off night, again, and then they're yeah. off again, and then yeah. I mean, my iron is rubbish, so I'm, I wouldn't be doing that, <laughs> getting up and changing sheets. I mean, that's, that's the last thing I want to do. I mean, it's not as bad as a bed and breakfast where you've got to cook up. You got to cook as well. <laughs> yeah, up and do bacon and eggs breakfast. I don't know if you ever. Sometimes I watch these people trying to start a new life, and they come out of the city of London, and and they go abroad to Spain, and they open up a bed and breakfast, and you think. Is that what you really, really want to be want doing? Be. You've got to get up and make bacon and eggs for, for 10 people in the morning. No, thank you. But, yeah, so, yeah, it, it is quite full-on. It is quite hands-on as, as a negative. But, of course, you can, make, you can make some good money out of it. And, and uh, whereas an HMO, you get more money than a buy-to-let because you're simply renting out more rooms to different people. With service accommodation, the premium is the fact that it's a sh- very, very, potentially very short-term. Let. So you Absolutely. can, you, if you're renting 30 nights in, uh, per month, then you're going to be at making head and shoulders above what you'd make from a buy-to-let. Because you would, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's got some real positives to it. Okay, so uh, that just leaves development, uh, pros and cons on development. Okay, well, well, d- development. I mean, a lot of people. Let's just um, just just clarify something. A lot of people say here there's a real downside of development is you need a load of money to get into it. Oh, I can't get in development. I haven't got enough money. Well, you don't. 
Now, we haven't got time to go through it on today's podcast, but rest assured, you don't need lots of your own money to get into development. In fact, you don't need any of your own money at all. You can get into development with other people's money. You may have heard that term. You genuinely can do it. Um, You need to know how to do it and how to attract this money towards you, but you can do it. And as we said, you can get into development for the same same type of numbers that you can actually go and do a buy to let or um, uh, you know an HMO or definitely a service department. So I think that would be news to quite a few people who, yeah, I've certainly heard development being positioned as a, a kind of advanced strategy. Yeah, but also yeah. people generally thinking that, yeah, but how can it be the same price, the same cost, the same budget as doing a buy to let on HMO? But you're saying that, that, that it is. The smaller yeah, projects definitely are. Because we're talking about scale. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not building a shopping centre. We're only putting something together which could be four or five flats. But this is something that can yield you on a plus side a six-figure sum. You know, even the smallest developments will make about £50,000. That's a pretty life-changing amount of money. Well, I mean, what's the average salary in the UK? Not uh-huh. yours necessarily, but if but you say... 20, 27000 27000 yeah. I mean, I don't know if you earn that much, but uh, 27000 is the average salary in the UK. You could you could make double that out of one deal, which would probably take you to, yeah, probably less than 12 months. And quite comfortably, you can go and make £100,000 plus a six-figure sum out of development. And that's from doing a deal, like you were saying, a... a, a a project that had roughly the same sort of level, if you like, as the equivalent of kind of an HMO. The same sort of entry level. Yeah. Uh, but you don't necessarily need your own money. You do need money, but you don't need your own money. And that's okay. that's the important thing. So, um, you know, on, on just to clear that up, but then in terms of, uh, you know, if, if we wanted to pick some negatives... Uh, you need to know a little bit more about development, uh, but you don't need to know everything. So we're a great believer, you know, at Property CO is, is you know, is leverage your own skills um, and then bring in the skills of other people, other professionals that you need to bring alongside you. So you do have to build this team of people. There's a bigger team compared to an HMO or a service department to put a development together. Um, but the plus side of that is that you've got a better team. You've got a more professional team because you can afford them. The numbers generally, because we're talking about the purchase price, but whilst on a, an HMO or maybe a service department, you might spend a bit more. But, you know, on an HMO, you might be spending fifteen or 20000 doing it up. On a development, we might be talking about two or £300,000 doing it up, which, again, you can borrow. You can borrow that money commercially. So that enables you, that sort of level of, of, um, of, of, of numbers enables you to employ a professional team. So on a real positive side, you're working with some experts. I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of people do HMOs and run HMOs, and they're having to coordinate the plasterer and the electrician. Oh, I did. Yeah, so I've got HMOs. So I'm a big fan of HMOs, but they are a lot of work to set up. Um, and, and, and I was managing that. When I did it, I, I, I managed the whole thing from start to finish. And, and fantastic when it's all done and dusted. You've still got a management job because you've got tenants, yeah. but actually getting it up and running. Uh, was was something that I did myself. Now, one of the things that I found fascinating about development was the role of the project manager, which didn't exist for me when I did HMOs. Yeah, you had to get the electrician there, and he yeah, doesn't turn I, up, does he? <laughs> I was the project manager. Yeah. Um, but but here you're saying not only can you afford good people, you know, your professional team, but that professional team can include a project manager. Yeah, someone to run the project for you. So it's highly leveraged. So you know, on a real plus side, you 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 act you know, as a CEO, the property CEO. You you are pulling the strings you're coordinating the team at a high level so you know if you've got some great decision making skills people skills management skills those sort of generic skill sets and, and, and then you find out what you don't know 
So you get yourself a bit of education, find out what you don't know. You can get into development and you can be highly leveraged. And, and that's a real positive thing. I mean, let alone the returns that you can make. I don't think any of the other strategies out there, well, they don't. None of the other strategies at all will make you the life-changing returns that you can get. I mean, how many people out there would, would think that £100,000, if they could earn £100,000 part-time out of development in the next 18 months, is that life-changing? I would suggest for most people it is a significant sum for me. It would be for you. It's it's a significant sum of money that you can you can make. And the difference here, in, in my opinion, is you make this rather than earn it, and that's a, that's a subtle difference. So, development, be it commercial, commercial conversions, industrial or new build, uh, in terms of it's got some real pluses that you, it, it returns you know really big chunks of money, and of course you can bring some professional people alongside to work with you. So with all those things in mind then, if somebody was coming in and thinking, right, what strategy should I do? Um, what, um, where should they be going with it? What, what would the, be the, um, are there some of those, some of those uh, strategies that are better for first-time property people than, than others? No. No, not really. Um, uh, this is this is. Well, don't what, sit on the fence on it, mate. No, no I won't. No. <laughs> I mean, this is this is what gets me uh, a little bit frustrated. So you're probably just goading me a bit. I would imagine. Um, Perish the thought. Yeah, it? absolutely. The, a lot of people say, "Oh no, you can't start development. You've got to start on sourcing, buy to let, HMO, rent to rent, service department. And if you're really good, then we're going to let you do the advanced strategy of development." No, that's rubbish. You can do what you want. You can start where you want. The important thing is do what you want to do. They are all very different. You know, I like development. I don't really like service departments. I don't like HMOs. You've got some HMOs you like them, and that's mm-hmm. fine. So the important thing is do what you want to do, because as always in any business, if you do what you want to do and do what you enjoy, you're probably going to do it well. And understand what it is you want to get out of it so you know they all give very different things we've just given a quick summary today which hopefully is useful on the pros and cons of each of these um so they require different inputs and they give you different results so what is it you're trying to achieve in property the important thing is you can start on any of them and jump around you don't have to do anything in any particular order so if you want to do a development next week go and do a development if in a year's time you think i'm going to do a bit of sourcing and then i'm going to buy myself some buy to lets do what you want You can jump around, you can mix these strategies up, you don't have to follow any preset route. So start where you want. I think one of the things that occurs to me in terms of all those strategies is the reason that development has got quite a an interesting slant to it that perhaps some of the others don't is that it does work really well with the other strategies. So one of the things I know from a buy and hold strategy from property uh, is that you tend to run out of money. You know, ultimately, no matter how much cash you've got, there's a limit to the amount of property that you can buy. Uh, and of course, with development, what you're doing is you're not holding any property. You're just simply creating chunks of cash every self and every time a project is done. And, and you mentioned you can earn income from it as well. But ultimately, then, if if I was having a, a development strategy and I was also uh, having a buy and hold strategy, I could be generating lumps of cash and then reinvesting, generating. Yeah, you lumps can of mix. Cash, you can mix them up. Definitely, you can mix the two up. Absolutely, no problem at all. Fantastic. So. Um, if everybody, anybody can get into any of these strategies off the bat, how would you suggest people who are new to property assess each one and kind of decide uh, on which strategy they should start with? Because, of course, I guess they all look pretty sort of sexy if you just read the tin and, and you, you, you look at the, the training packages or the books or whatever on the subject. You kind of see the, uh, the sizzle. Um, how do you get under the surface of it and find out what it's really like? Well, I, I think um, 
you know, go and talk to a lot of people out there. Go and talk to people that are doing it. Uh, they, they are all pretty sexy. I mean, they're all good income-generating strategies to different levels and different degrees. So go and talk to people. Get out to your property network meetings. You know, talk to people that may be in the industry that are doing different things. So don't necessarily go and ask someone that just does service departments what they think of sourcing because they, they, they might not be doing it. They might love it. They might say, no, no, not for me at all. Go and talk to someone that's doing sourcing and doing quite well out of sourcing. Maybe talk to someone who's doing sourcing and maybe not doing as well. You know, are they still as, as, as enthusiastic? And the same with all the other strategies. So just get out there and talk to people that are doing it and just understand and make notes. Come away and make notes. What did they say was good? What did they say was bad? How are they doing? You know, what's the bumps in the road that they've hit? Um, and from all of that, you should better work out what it is you're trying to achieve. But again, come back to is what are you wanting to achieve? Where are you? Just because sourcing, if sourcing worked for me, it doesn't mean to say, Ian, it would work for you because mm-hmm. we're different characters and we know different people, we've got different networks. So I might be very successful at sourcing. You might take it on and be a complete failure. I mean, I'm not suggesting you would be a complete failure because, I mean, that, that's, that would be totally unfair. But, um, GDO, I mean, it, it, it's, it, if it's right for someone else, doesn't mean to say it's right for you. So really understand how people are doing and, and does that really fit in with you? And then from that, I think you can build up and start to make your your own decisions. Fantastic. So in summary then, um, of the, the six or so strategies we talked about, basically the the, the route to entry, there's, there's, no, there's no barriers. You can do any one of them, uh, but you need to find out more about uh, each one um, and also then to, to basically just make sure that you know what it is that you want to get you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. So in terms of then the kind of, if we looked at a few takeaways from from um, what you've said, uh, what would be the I don't know the three three things that you'd give us to, to, to kind of leave us with? Well, the three three takeaways. Picking up on the last point, write down what it is you're trying to achieve in your property business. Get a piece of paper, put a line down the middle. It's how I work. Pros cons either side. What do I like about sourcing? What what don't I like about sourcing? What do I like about rent to rent? What don't I like about rent to rent? And just just go down there because once you start writing stuff down, it's very very different than just thinking about it because you know you commit it to paper and then you can get another thought and you start to build on it. If you're looking to do it with a partner, whether that's your life partner, husband, wife, whatever, get them to do the same. If you're looking to do it with a business partner or a joint venture partner, get them to do the same and compare your notes. So definitely write it down. That would be my first thought, and then that gives you a real bit of a, a steer. And so that's not just looking at the the bottom right hand corner and thinking, oh, HMOs make a lot of money. It's actually, it, yeah. yeah, it's actually working out what's involved in the journey uh, and whether that's the sort of thing that is. Yeah, and look at all the bad sides because these these things all have bumps in the road. So yeah. see what they're at. Okay. Secondly, uh, you know, make sure you've got some form of education in whatever area of property it is you're planning to go into because. The other day, you know, I mean, you don't drive a car. I mean, we all had, we all got educated to drive our car. I haven't said that. When you? you drive and park, I don't think I don't <laughs> think you did. But um, and to be honest, folks, he's he's a terrible. But moving moving he, on. Okay, moving on. But he really can't park. But anyway, so you you know you you wouldn't expect to do that. You'd go and get educated. You get a driving instructor. Um, although I don't think you listen to yours. And you, <laughs> you 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 know you you get trained, and then of course you pass the test and you go for it. I, I suspect whatever career we're, we've all we've all come down the road of. I mean, I'm a, I'm a structural engineer by profession. I got trained. I can't do that without getting trained. So don't expect to get into property without any training. And there's lots of free stuff out there. We have loads of free stuff on our website, and that's great. But that's only going to take you so far. So get some form of education of whatever sector it is you're looking into. There's some great, there's some great education out there. And to be honest, the investment you have to make in your education is insignificant compared to the return 
you know, so if you look at it, the returns you get out of it once you've got the education. Well, I think in, in any form of property, whatever strategy you do, they, they obviously property is, uh, is, is generally, you know, they're talking potentially quite a lot of wealth coming out the back end. So it makes it quite cost effective to invest in yourself, invest in the training at the front end. It does. And relatively, so if you look at the training on that, if you look at it from that point of view, it's, it's quite cost effective. Fantastic. And then finally, uh, if you want to do development... Start with development. I mean, you wound me up on this earlier, so I got to I got to pick this point. You know, just go for it. If you want to do it, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't start in development. If that's what you want to do, do it. Equally, you know, if you want to start on sourcing and jump around, do what do whatever you want. But definitely start wherever you want. Fantastic. And you were a structural engineer for thirty five years. Yeah, thirty five years. And are they they are still up. They're all. I don't think anything I've designed has ever fallen down. Okay. Never had a professional indemnity insurance claim against us that That's I'm prepared good. to tell you here on 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 tape. Okay. No, never had a problem um, uh, as far as I'm aware. Fantastic. Well, I'll think of something else to get you back for on the parking front. Thank um, you very much. Fantastic, Richie. Thank you for that. Um, that is all we've got time for in this episode. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll be able to find the time to join us uh, next time when we'll be giving you the inside track from another part of the uh, the wonderful world of property. In the meantime, uh, please feel free to check out our other episodes. You can uh, visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's uh, it's goodbye from us both. Thank you very much. Goodbye.